This is Farmer Forum web editor Nicole Raleigh, and I have today with me President of Europe at Viva, Chris Moore. Welcome, Chris. Morning, Nicole. So today, you and I, were going to be speaking about the state of clinical trials in the UK and Europe. Yeah. So let's stay broad. Yeah. Um, so clinical trials, broadly speaking, what would be your automatic response to a question on the state of clinical trials in 2023 before we sort of tunnel down into the specifics of geographies? So I think as we, as we look across the, the global landscape, it's, it's absolutely a global business. There's a few themes and trends that we're seeing here that, that are impacting decisions that people are making in terms of which geography they go for. So on a, on a sort of high level um, macro view, what we're seeing is more focus on specialty areas, specialty diseases. What that's driving is a need to be able to find the patients and the right mm -hmm. patients yeah. for those treatments because it's not like a mass population treatment. You're trying to find certain individuals who fit those criteria and you can demonstrate the effect of your drugs. So mm -hmm. finding patients in an efficient and effective way is super, super important. I think the other thing that companies are looking at is predictability. Mm -hmm. So where can I go in the world where I know what the regulatory conditions are going to be that I can find high quality patients. And one word that we're seeing coming in more and more is diversity. Mm -hmm. So wanting to make sure that you've got the right, um, the right diversity amongst your patient population to know that your treatment's truly representative. And all of that then funnels down into, well actually where do you go in order to do that? And I guess that's the, a, a, a topic that we're gonna drill into we across are, the yeah. course of today. We are, and I was thinking as you were speaking that all these challenges you're mentioning is where Viva comes in. It's, it's quite something to listen to at the Viva Summit is to see just how uh, wide a remit you offer the industry. Yep. So now we're going to do the tunneling down. Uh. Firstly, into UK clinical trials. So according to figures from the ABPI, as I'm sure you're aware, there was a 41% decline in new trial initiations between 2017 and 2021, so not a positive percentage at all. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So we've, we've had a few things coming together. Um, so we talked about that magic word, predictability. Mm -hmm. um, I hate to even mention the word, but you, you can't get away from it. With Brexit, prior to Brexit, we had the European Medical Agency uh, within the UK, which again meant that it was it was a great place to come and register your drugs mm -hmm. so a lot of regulatory affairs groups were heavily represented here in in the uk um, and as a result of that 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 had a, a knock-on effect also being part of the european union the trading mm -hmm. block and the single registration for a drug it was a good place to be i think with the uncertainty caused by brexit and really not knowing what that was going to do to rules and regulations, which previously had been set and understood, yeah. I think that had a knock-on effect. I think the impact of um, the, 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 the NHS being quite overstretched in, in the UK also had an impact. And then I think some of the, uh, the focus on clinical trials and the supporting capabilities i.e. scanning capabilities and availability of those two trials as a, um, a capability, um, 
that, that the lack of those things all have contributed towards saying, well, maybe the UK wasn't the right, the right place over those past few years to focus on. Yes, I mean, you brought up Brexit, I didn't. Yep, no, no, but sorry, for, totally sorry for mentioning the B word. valid contribution to these figures yep. we're going to be discussing. I was just wondering while you were speaking as well, you didn't mention COVID towards the tail end of this percentage. Obviously, COVID hit in 2020. Yeah. So we've got a full year of impact in that percentage. Do you think it did play a part at that juncture? Or it, not? It's actually a really great question because it also showed where the UK was at its strongest. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think to look at COVID, you have to look at both sides of it. So COVID hit everyone. So yeah. there was, um, obviously there was a dip in, in clinical trials worldwide outside of COVID, while a lot of these things were put on pause, mm -hmm. but there was no getting away from the fact that the UK was in decline uh, because of some of those other macro yeah. factors. I think what COVID showed was that when the UK uses, uses its structural benefits in its favor in a coordinated mm -hmm. way, actually it's a great place to carry out a clinical study. And it's a, it's a great place to do that at scale. I think the challenge for the UK, the European Union, and any other geography going forward is it's a, everyone wants research because it helps contribute to, to both national economies and also to, to, to national health. And so it's a competitive market for countries to attract that in. And I think, as I'm sure we'll get into, most geographies are starting to think about how they can use their structural benefits to their favour to be more favourable. The UK Life Sciences Council. Yeah. Some big news recently. Um, so for those who don't know, the UK Life Sciences Council is a twice yearly meeting between ministers and global life sciences industry leaders. And they met on the 25th of May to discuss the sector's economic potential and how to tackle the recent decline in investment. And there was the news that the government will be investing £650 million, not dollars, in funding life sciences research. And that includes £121 million for the improvement of commercial clinical trials. So I, I think it sort of leaks on also to um, the Lord O'Shaughnessy report as well, which is very timely yeah. around that. Um, <laughs> But it, it's, almost, it's almost impossible to separate those two because I think actually it shows a very positive movement. Um, uh, if, you, if you look at what's happened, we've always recognized that we've had a traditionally very strong and vibrant life science industry. Mm -hmm. We've got two of the majors in terms of GSK and AZ. We've got a vibrant biotech community. Um, but I think there was, there was almost a taking, taking for granted of the sector. Um, I think what we're seeing recently is a, a redoubling down on industrial policy mm -hmm. and a recognition of the importance of, of life sciences in terms of um, impact society, high, high value jobs, um, and great exporting business. And, and I think I'm seeing in policy um, and more of a consensus actually across the, the political parties about we can't take it for granted anymore. So I think as we, as we look at the, the, the report from the council and, and actually, um, I, I guess we'll come on to it in a moment, the Lord O'Shaughnessy report, what we're seeing is um, policymakers taking a step back and saying, 
we have taken our eye off the ball. Mm -hmm. We need to get our focus back onto it. And we need to reverse the decline and get back onto the front foot. So I, I take it as a very positive first step, um, but a lot more needs to be done. Yes, a lot more. That's, I don't want to say it's an understatement, but certainly uh, life sciences industry, very good at talking about what needs to be done, but we yeah. need tangible action. So in this independent review by Lord James O'Shaughnessy, he advised making the UK an attractive destination for industry clinical trials, yeah. um, which requires regulatory reform, speedier study setup and approvals, and improved, the buzzword this year, access yeah. to data. So let's address that first, and then we'll come on to another question on that. So first of all, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of positive things that we can all take out of the Lord O'Shaughnessy report. I think, first of all, um, the, 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 the recognition that we've made it way too hard in this country mm -hmm. to contract for clinical studies, the fact that each care commissioning group needed its own contracts was crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of our greatest assets, having a unified healthcare system and then to say, but you'll have your contracts and I'll have mine, it just gets in the way, mm -hmm. adds no value to anyone. I think recognizing that if you want to raise the overall standard of treatment, having a healthy, um, healthy set of clinical trials being run within the UK is really important. And saying, so that has to actually um, come back into the national thinking in terms of priorities for clinicians and, and rewarding them for it. Uh, I thought was a massively positive step. And I think just getting the focus back on to why was the UK such a great destination, especially for phase two studies, mm -hmm. the, where you're looking to design how you're bringing your treatments to market, um, and going back to some of those things that we're really good at and embedding them back in into our health service and making those more accessible to pharmaceutical companies was phenomenally positive. And I thought the second mo most positive thing about that was that the government has, has now accepted all of those recommendations and is saying they're going to act on them. I think it's now vital they follow through mm. because we've got such a distance to catch up that you know, now we need to see the action to follow the words. But the intent, the statements, and the direction I thought were phenomenal. So the report also recommends setting up clinical trial acceleration networks, or CTANs. And those are to be funded and equipped to deliver, and I quote, genuinely best-in-world clinical trial services. Yep. So now we're going to come to the specifics of this interview. Uh, to what extent can Viva help? So I think when you actually look at it, the, there's too much friction in mm -hmm. the process. So if you look at how a, a clinical trial is, is typically carried out today, the bits don't talk to each other very well. Mm. So you've got the pharmaceutical company who, who sponsors the trial. Quite often they'll work with a clinical research organization mm -hmm. who will then work with sites who have doctors who work with patients. Yep. And the data and the information is fragmented between all those parties. What we see in Viva is we've, we've been working for a number of years in creating a platform now that the majority of the industry uses to, to run their clinical studies on. 
and we're extending out the breadth and depth of what we're able to offer to the pharmaceutical companies to better connect them internally. With that, we're also making it easier for them to work directly with the CROs so mm -hmm. that instead of the CRO having their data, us having, or the, 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 the pharmaceutical company having their data, and then trying to translate between the two, they, they just share the data. Mm -hmm. The next challenge was, well, how do you get that data back from the sites themselves where, where these trials are carried out? And so we're, we're investing in providing um, life sciences quality systems to the sites, which is something they've never had before. And for the, for, for, for the majority of those sites, we will provide that for free forever. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, they've got software designed for them, but that can provide the information back to the CROs and the pharma companies, taking away that friction. But the area we're really excited about is providing tools to the patients. So we talked about specialty trials earlier, mm -hmm. target populations, people with, um, with, with chronic diseases or, or acute diseases where they might struggle to, to come into trial centers um, and the trial centers may not always be conveniently located for them. Yeah. What we're looking to do is to provide tools directly to those patients and in doing so, halve the amount of time that they, they need to spend in the sites to, to come in, so half the number of visits, for example, yeah. which means that you open up to a broader population, you create a much better experience for the patient, and there are no breaks in the provision of the data because that can then flow back in a consistent way. And in doing so, we think we can achieve two things. Number one, we think we can deliver 25% cheaper clinical studies for the whole industry. Mm -hmm. Number two, that we can do them 25% faster. And then the other piece that is harder to quantify, we also think we're gonna make it easier to be able to um, enroll and keep patients engaged with the studies so that that data comes out at the end. Data from the first six months <coughs> of the National Contract Value Review uh, showed that the UK's recently implemented national approach to costing and contracting for commercial contract research has suggested that setup times have reduced by 45%, yeah. which is positive. So that's from 213 days to 118 days? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there, are there any comments on that? You no, I, I, think, I think it's, a, it's the early signs of this new focus. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the early signs of really valuing the industry and just starting to ask the basic questions again. Why was it taking so long? During COVID, we showed how quickly you could set up and run trials at scale. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, when you look at some of those, those COVID studies, they were, they were some of the biggest, fastest executed in the world. And mm. they, they, were a, they were a great, um, they were a great advertisement for, UK life sciences industry. Definitely. And I think the good news now is with this more sensible uh, and thoughtful policy about the life sciences industry, people are just going back and asking those basic questions. Why are we letting this take so long? Yeah. And with it, guess what? There's probably not that many good reasons to, to keeping it so long. So I think it's all about momentum now. Mm -hmm. 
if we can follow through on the Lord O'Shaughnessy report, if that can really be enacted, if we can keep this excitement, enthusiasm around the industry, then I, I, I'd be very hopeful that we're going to see further improvements. And I think the, the single contracting across um, the NHS will be the biggest thing that could be done very quickly. Um, but also, I think the, the UK has certain structural advantages in terms of a unified healthcare system and traditionally a very positive attitude towards digital, mm -hmm. which I think if the UK is going to be a player in this market, then it's, it's absolutely vital <coughs> that, um, that we, we not only follow through on the basics, but actually start to try and take a step ahead by being more open to more um, digital access, um, digital approvals, digital usage. And then again, I think the UK can get back more to a leadership position. Okay, so we've, we've discussed the UK now. Yeah. And we also said we'd discuss Europe. So yeah. let's shift to Europe. And uh, the European Commission's proposal to create a single market across the EU for medicines. Yeah came out recently. So that does away with the current fragmentation in the marketplace that, according to some, leads to unequal access to medicines between member states, makes health systems inefficient and violates the rights of EU citizens. Yep. So do you have any comments on that? So again, first of all, I think the, the move towards EU CTR and the harmonisation of clinical studies across the block was a massively positive move. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, it starts to give Europe the kind of access to access to populations to, to rival North America, which is still the powerhouse for, mm -hmm. for clinical studies. I think we're in the early stages of that, though, um, and you can already see some of the teething problems with it. So it's absolutely the right thing to do, but I think the devil is in the detail in this one. So when you look at the enactment of it, um, the early stages are indicating there's still a little bit of discrepancy between interpretation of the rules between the regions. Yep. So, for example, uh, you know, Germany has some very strong privacy rules where the, 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 the current regulations don't necessarily align. And so for pharmaceutical companies, they're still having to navigate those national differences. Mm -hmm. I think for for this, um, this move towards a, a common approach for uh, approvals and regulation of trials across the block, um, those, those national differences really need to be ironed out mm. because we go back to predictability. Yeah. And the difficulty is without, without a common harmonized approach is not predictable. It's sort of the same, but not quite the same. And the company is still left trying to deal with those national differences, try and get national contracts in place and, and meet the, the harmonised rules as well as the local rules. The other, the other part that still needs to be worked on is that the, the upload for the approvals to that is still largely manual through the, through the portal. This screams of an area where it should just be automated. Yep. There should be an open open access to it. Um, organizations like ourselves could provide capabilities to directly upload. It would smooth out the process. So in summary, great intent, mm. um, really sensible 
good thing to do for the industry. Now it's got to, those wrinkles need to be ironed out to really make it truly effective. Yeah, especially for treatments for rare diseases and cell and gene therapies. Massively. Yeah, because massively. Of that biological element in the treatment. Well, where, where you've got, we, we have organizations we deal with now where they're dealing with a handful of patients across Europe in rare diseases. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to access those populations and, and get a large enough sample size to tr- prove the, the, the value of the treatment, you need freedom to go where the patients are. It's a very different mindset to, to more sort of conventional mass treatments. And so if, if Europe is going to be competitive in these very emergent areas, we've got to get those regulations down. Definitely. Okay, so regulations segues in my mind at least to the other buzzword of this year, which is AI. Yep. So we have to talk about AI. Yep, we have to. So <coughs> first question, have you used ChatGPT? So I have, yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all of these technologies are incredible. And um, back in a previous life, I used to work with IBM and okay. ran analytics for globally for, for life sciences. So we were doing the early work around Watson and working with the research groups on some incredible things. I think there is no question that AI is coming of age. Um, I think certainly in, in our world, in Viva, um, we see that we have an opportunity to help provide the industry with better data to feed that AI. Mm-hmm. We're going to see more and more uses of it. Um, but in a regulated industry like our own, you've got to have enough confidence in the data that you're making the right decisions. So unlike, for example, if we're, um, if we're creating a letter or um, uh, creating an essay or something like that, um, AI can be very convincing even when it's wrong. Yes. And we don't have that luxury in life sciences. No. So it is a great input. We're already seeing applications in the area of uh, automated categorization of documents. Um, We ourselves have announced our own CRM chatbot where we're going to help reps to have a better, more engaged conversation with doctors. And also, we're looking at how can you use that to better understand safety signals. So there's some really good tangible uh, use cases. But I think in life sciences in particular, We just have to be mindful that we have to be confident in the data and therefore confident that if the AI gives us a a good answer, that it's the right answer and not just convincing. Yes. Um, And so that's that's what I think we're going to have to work through in the life sciences industry. ChatGPT makes its decision based on the data that's given to it. And I think what we'll see is um, we'll see... AI applied to, to the general uh, information set that's out there. And that will have its, its own use and purpose to trawl mass information and make sense of it. Um, but there's also gonna be within the firewall. Mm-hmm. And that, so within a, within a company, you're gonna want to have confidence in your data. So if you know your data is good, then if you apply the right algorithms to it, you can get really good answers out of it. So I think there's going to be mass data, um, which we'll get from the general corpus of 
information out there. And then you'll get within the firewall data where you'll, you'll actually really want to drill down and make decisions. Now the challenge that then comes is you've got to get that data into a harmonized form that you can make sense of it. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, and this is, this is a problem way back when that, um, that, that we actually had with it, which is, for example, if you're comparing health information, uh, if you're taking a blood pressure, the, the conditions around how that blood pressure was taken can be as important as the blood pressure itself. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you've just come back, Nicole, from your 10-mile run, your daily 10-mile run, mm -hmm. um, your blood pressure is going to be slightly different to, to when you're sitting down at the end of the evening and um, relaxing. So being able to give those subtleties yep. into, into AI is going to influence how far you could take it. But certainly, even in those areas we talked about, I think that's becoming a reality mm. of you know, mass auto automated categorization, looking for safety signals, providing suggestions on what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, I think those are, those, are gonna, th those are very much a reality. Finally, is there a summative statement for everything we've been discussing? So the future of clinical trials in the UK yeah. and in Europe, we won't touch upon the US. Um, are the trajectories, will they be different due perhaps to borders, to regulatory? And what needs to be ameliorated for clinical trial future there? It's a great question. And I think if I were to summar summarize um, sort of certainly where I personally believe we are, I, I think it's a really hopeful time. Mm -hmm. I think there is a recognition of the importance of healthcare to society, to economies, etc. Um, and a recognition that, that actually it deserves attention um, for, for all those reasons. I think the, the movement we see in the UK is highly positive, um, where we see independent reports being wholeheartedly endorsed by government, and a sense that um, there is a sensible political debate on all political parties, that this will give confidence in the future that we're not going to swing one way or another, is highly positive. I think the European model of moving towards a harmonized approach for the bloc is just common sense. Yeah. Um, now it's got to be followed through. And in both cases, we stand, we stand on the precipice of doing many of the right things. And now it's important that we do the difficult things of following through, mm -hmm. harmonizing the European approach, opening it up to, to, to automated feeds. And in Europe, uh, sorry, in the UK, Following through on, on Lord O'Shaughnessy's recommendations in full, but also double down on our structural advantages of a, a unified healthcare system mm -hmm. with a patient population of 65 million, open up access to that and create, um, really be a leader around the use of digital to accelerate access to patients, access to um, new clinical studies and approval and speed of, of delivery of those to, to get what we used to be great at, which was predictability, back into our system. <laughs>